This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. And today I'm joined by a returning guest to the show, Mindy Fashaw from Packview. Mindy is the Chief Operating Officer at Packview. She joined Packview from Newell Brands, where she led the Amazon sales team for three and a half years and had responsibility for nearly $1 billion in annual revenue across a large portfolio of industry-leading brands. Prior to Newell Brands, Mindy spent over 10 years at Amazon in various cross-functional roles, including finance, third-party account management, in-stock management, and vendor management. Mindy has strong subject matter expertise across many disciplines at Amazon and is extremely passionate about data-driven decision-making and helping to streamline operations to maximize revenue. Welcome back, Mindy. Thank you, Kiri. Thanks for having me back. So you're back by popular demand because we didn't get nearly through the list of questions that I had for you <laughs> last time. And we got some good feedback on that episode, actually. Uh, I'm not sure if you know Julie Liu from Ghirardelli Chocolate, but she gave us a shout out on LinkedIn to say that she listened to that episode and said it was very timely given all the focus on retail media. So we're going to yeah, take... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's great feedback. And yes, I actually do know Julie. Excellent. Yeah. So we're going to take what we talked about in our episode 190. Oh, I've lost that. <laughs> A couple of episodes ago was about retail media assessment criteria. And you shared with the audience a framework around retail media allocation, budgeting, and then we got into talking about measuring performance according to actual business objectives, not just the legible metrics like ROAS, actually looking at what are the business goals? Is that growing incremental market share? Is it improving profitability? And then looking at metrics from, from that perspective rather than those easy-to-find metrics like ROAS and ACOS. Yeah. So we're going to build on that conversation today and let's just jump right into it unless you want to, are there any sort of closing thoughts from our recent conversation, Mindy, that you wanted to recap or, or share? Not particularly, only because I think a lot of it will get layered into the conversation as it continues, because this, as you know, the stuff all builds upon each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. So I have a, my, my perspective, and I don't think it's like particularly unique, but I'd like to get your, your view on it, is that we're entering this paradigm where there's more e-commerce marketplaces, platforms, more last last mile delivery platforms, that, that's for sure. And correspondingly, more retail media channels. And I think that that, that situation is only going to compound in the future as, as there are, there's more niche players entering, entering the space and more of our purchasing activity migrates online. So first of all, just wanted to get your thoughts on that thesis and how the framework that you shared with us accommodates that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I do agree with you in terms of the thesis. 
I think my point of view is, you know, I think we'll continue to see, you know, new platforms come into play, retailer platforms, but I expect them to be more vertical specific. And and the reason I say that is because, you know, as Amazon gets bigger and you've got the likes of Walmart and Target trying to compete there, it's really tough to do, you know, what those those companies do well at scale, especially this late in the game. So I, I think it will we'll continue to see new platforms, but I think it'll be more vertical specific. You know, some of those examples are like Wayfair, Chewy. I'm not sure if you've seen in the news, but there's a, a big turnaround effort right now at GameStop where they've hired a bunch of former Amazonians. I think I know like 90% of those Amazonians. Some of my friends are actually there. So I think that'll be super interesting to watch. And then I think there'll be, you know, not just vertical specific, but I don't even know what you call it, but a bit more targeted. So if you think of GoPuff, where they're really targeting that C-Store customer, I think we'll see a lot more of that. And then, you know, when you talk about how does this framework then carry over to, you know, this this growing ecosystem and, and you know, this really kind of unpredictable future from a how do you budget for this change perspective I think I'll touch on a couple of things that I highlighted in our previous conversation. You know, one, that is where setting aside that that test and learn budget. Actually, and I can't remember, you know, we did talk about it a bit when we talked about budgeting, but setting aside that that test and learn budget, that pulse budget to really be able to at least test, dip a toe in year one when when new products, new platforms become available. But the other thing that I would really, really encourage is, you know, having that that strong data or financial analyst at your side to make decisions around if and where you should invest. I know previously I said, you know, it's not really if you should invest, it's when. That's true for the big guys, right? But as, you know, there becomes so many more options, you really do have to hone in and get more specific. And, you know, from a framework perspective, it really comes down to the numbers. It comes down to the, the math, the data, and what it's telling you. And you're going to need to be forecasting. You're going to need to be thinking about, you know, where do you think your customers will be? And really hone in on what can you cover successfully as a team? Because obviously you can't do it all. So you have your own internal priorities competing with all of this noise going on in the marketplace. And so, you know, Obviously, making sure that you're you're covered and you're on all of those big retailers where you know most consumers are shopping. But then, if your products fall into one of these new, you know, more vertical oriented retailers, you know that could be a really you know good opportunity for you to measure testing and learning on. But if they don't fall into that vertical specific platform, it, it's unlikely that you really need to be paying attention. So again, having that analyst by your side that can really help model out your thoughts. And then the other thing I'll say is, you know, it's there, there's so much noise going on, both in the industry, just, you know, with all this newness and, and change, but also internally, as these, these brand teams are trying to figure out how do they keep up? How do they structure? Where do they find the expertise, etc. I think it's really important. That's where it's important to have a data driven approach, right? You've, you've got to quiet the noise, both internally and externally. And I know that can be challenging when you have you know, lots of stakeholders who don't understand the space and they all have opinions and they want to have input and they want to be informed. And obviously, you know, you have to find that balance. But, you know, in order to do this right with all this complexity, you really have to quiet the noise and model out the scenarios and really start to hone in on where it makes sense to spend your dollars. Hmm. Yeah. A couple of things I want to dig into there. 
with the you mentioned the vertical players coming up will those vertical players like gopuff for example actually leverages a retail media network called citrus and that seems to be a solution like an easier solution for a platform to spin up as opposed to a completely new retail media platform that they've developed themselves do you see is your is your view that these retailers are going to use retail media networks on an interim basis or is that a model that we could expect to see more longevity from yeah i think it's a really good question and it's it's hard to say i think you know most smart business leaders outsource what they don't have time to prioritize, right? So I think that one, it would be a miss to not have ads on some of these retailers, and especially on these newer platforms, because it can be a really strong revenue stream, you know, while you're working on the profitability side of, of you know, the operations of, of actually becoming a retailer. But I think that it would be smart for them to and likely that they will outsource that until they're able to build that muscle a bit more internally. Yeah. Yep. That makes that makes total sense. And I guess that's a win for the e-com manager or the digital director of a company who can look at something like Citrus or Crudio and know that that's going to actually account for a number of different platforms that they might be selling on, as opposed to each retailer having its own unique media platform. So that's... You know, one thing that could be interesting, I was just thinking about this a little bit while while you were talking is, you know, I think when I talk about some of these more vertical specific, I think if you think about a Chewy or a GameStop, you know, it's important for them to really get to know who their consumer is. Mm. And so I, I think there's actually some really good data that platforms like that can get out of having an ad platform. So, you know, if someone is building a new retailer platform it would be a miss to not think about how could you leverage ads to, you know, get to know your customers better, faster. And also, you know, I think some of the things that that these retailers do well, you know, especially compared to Amazon, and it's it's easy to do, right? Amazon is more of a generalist than a specialist, although they, you know, at, at the highest level, they wouldn't love to hear that. I mean, of course, they want to think that they're, you know, category leaders in, in every vertical, which which they are to some extent. But you know, if you, I just had a personal experience I wanted to share. Last week, I got a box delivered and I wasn't expecting a package. And so anyways, I opened it up and there was a, a gift, like a wrapped gift inside. And I was like, what is this? And then I looked at the box again and I went, this is from Chewy. What is this? And I opened it up and it was a little hand-painted portrait of one of my dogs. Uh, what? Yeah, it was crazy. And it's actually a thing. I Googled it. They've been doing it since the pandemic. Super uh. brilliant. But it's funny because, you know, we work in this industry, right? And we we understand the, the why some of these retailers do what they do. But that did not deter me from having that genuine reaction of, oh, my God, this is so sweet. This is amazing. And I'm a Chewy customer for life now. I don't. And, you know, if, if the price is like a little bit higher than Amazon, I still buy from Chewy. Wow. Because I've had such a great experience working with Chewy. So I just think it's funny that, you know, a retailer like like Chewy that ended up on my doorstep and it it hit me emotionally the way that it intended they intended it to 
even though I knew that was their intention. So I just think getting to know the consumer and and having that more personal touch in some of these more vertical specific retailers is a big opportunity. And then I don't want to go too deep into this, but you know, just another thing we see happening in the industry is that that blurring of lines between social and retail, right? And and really trying to figure out how social ads can get that last touch attribution. And so seeing those all kind of start to blend together, you've got, you know, TikTok product ads, things like that. Anyways, I just think the the industry is going to become a lot more convoluted. And I think that's where you really need the the thought rigor of being able to really hone in and figure out what makes sense for you and your business from an investment perspective. Every Amazon seller is familiar with the importance of having the capital to seize growth opportunities. That's why Payoneer, the sponsor of today's episode, developed their working capital solution specifically for online sellers. Payoneer's Capital Advance offers e-sellers selling on Amazon and Walmart up to 750k advancement instantly loaded, a gradual sediment collected from future marketplace receivables, always leaving you with some funds to manage the day-to-day and an attractive fixed fee. Skip the credit checks and learn about bringing your e-commerce vision to life by visiting payoneer.com slash funding. Again, that's payoneer.com slash funding. You'll even get a special 10% fee rebate on your first offer. Thanks, Payoneer. Do you think that with new retail media platforms emerging from all all of these players, there will be competition amongst them such that the brands themselves will get more customer data from the retail media platforms? That's a frustration that a lot of brands have is that that they're spending these ad dollars on Instacart, for example, and they've got a tiered system where you've got to spend more on Instacart to get the really good data from the platform, right? <laughs> they, they kind of gate it in that way, which is really, really smart. But that's the challenge that brands have is, is the retailer or the media network is getting this data about customer preferences and, you know, what kind of dog you have and things like that. And the brand doesn't. Do you think that with more competition amongst retail media players, will end up with more data as a means of enticing advertisers? Or is that a bit of a long shot? I think it's definitely a possibility. And I think it is, you know, obviously, when, when you're talking about the performance media data is one of the most critical, you know, things that that brands want, or that advertisers want. So I think that, you know, retailers and platform owners are going to have to figure out, you know, how and where do they share more of that data? I think, one of the things that, you know, can be a bit more challenging is if you think of, you know, we, we call them aggregators internally. That was prior to the takeoff of seller aggregators. So we might have to pick a new name for them. But like the Critios, for example, the Citruses, we call them aggregators because they're retailer platform aggregators, okay. ad platform aggregators. Yep. But if you think about them, a lot of what they do is is really directed by the retailer themselves, right? So as much as they might want or need to share more data to gain that edge above their competitor, it comes back to the retailer and what the retailer is is willing to share. And, you know, we see some of those limitations on, on the Instacart side, 
And then we also see that on the ad platform aggregator side as well with Critio and, and Citrus. So I think it's it's definitely something that advertisers are going to continue to request and at some point start to demand and withhold dollars until they get it. I mean, we see some of that happening right now. I'm just not quite sure, you know, at what point and how, given the the convoluted way that retailers and these aggregators are working with each other, how that might evolve. But I, I definitely think where the retailer owns their own ad platform, I think that's where, you know, there's more control and we'll definitely start to see more data sharing and just more capabilities in general. Yeah. Because I I recall when I first started speaking with with Instacart when they rolled out their self-serve ad platform, that was a real benefit that they were promoting was their data that they were sharing with advertisers and that they wanted to be, that was a differentiator of their platform that they wanted to share more than what what advertisers could get from other platforms around market, around basket analysis and, and share of category and things like that. So that was something that they seem to be a very deliberate marketing message of their platform, which I found quite interesting. Yeah, I think another kind of interesting sign of that is Amazon, right? I mean, Everyone thinks Amazon will never share this. They'll never, you know, they'll never share that data, but we've really seen them start to open up and share a lot more data. And one thing in particular that I'm I'm guilty of, I said, this will never happen. They will never share this. And they finally shared it within the last year or so, which is just item level glance view data. And that was kind of always their, you know, I'm trying to think of like the right terminology for it, but it, it was just like a data point that they would never share externally was glance views. And now they share glance views, which then means you can get to item level conversion. I think another evolution there is, you know, on the Amazon marketing cloud side. So starting to show some of that shopper journey data. So I definitely think that is a direction, you know, the industry will will be forced to go as especially someone like Amazon is sharing more of that information. It's just how they get there, I think will be a little bit, you know, hard to determine. Yes, we will have to bookmark this and come back in a couple of years and see if <laughs> see I, I, what if happens. Learned, yeah, if I haven't learned before, I just have to stop. I have to never say never. I never thought Amazon would share glance views, but yeah, they, I was wrong. I think you're right. They have been sharing more and more data with with advertisers and brands selling on Seller Central in, in particular, such that you can get a pretty good view of what behavior, demographics and shopping activities a customer has when buying from your brand. So that's, I think Amazon doesn't get enough credit for that. Like you said, let's return back to the spend allocation question. We're talking about there being a lot of channels to allocate across in the future. When are there too many channels? Like when should you say no? (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. You know, like I said, it has to be, it's relevant to, you, you know, your team structure, your org size, and really the size of the business opportunity. So it's hard to put a, a number on that. I would say if I had to put a number on it, my gut says somewhere around 10, which actually kind of feels like a lot. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know why 10 is really standing out as like, you know, at that point, are you just spread too thin? You know, there's a lot of overlap, obviously, when a consumer shopping on a platform, you know, they're they're probably and likely shopping on other platforms as they're doing research. And as the customer experience starts to become 
pretty similar across these different retailer websites, you know, there's, there's little left to compete on beyond, you know, price and unique selection. And so my point in saying that is, you know, if you can't tackle all of them, don't worry. If you're tackling, you know, 75% of, of what's most relevant to your business, you're likely already capturing those consumers in that investment, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think it would also come down to the size of the company and how aggressive your market coverage goals are. So if you're PepsiCo, then you want to be absolutely everywhere. But if you're a smaller company, then like you, like you said, what percentage of the market are you capturing by just being on Amazon? Well, that's actually pretty high. Right. So you might want to just go for for Amazon if you've got if you if you're quite constrained. That's going to get you fifty percent of e-commerce, right? So exactly. then every every other channel is fairly incremental after that. So are you aiming for fifty percent coverage, sixty, ninety nine? It's going to be quite a different story at each of those marks. Yeah, and then you you have to think about redundancy at that point too, right? How do you if if you're serving the same ad to the same consumer across multiple retailers, like at some point that can't be profitable long term. So I think that's just another factor to consider. Yep. And I just want to touch on something that that you did share in our last episode around having a innovation budget. I think you gave it another name, a pulse budget as well, test and learn. And this is where this can, you can dip into this to look at new channels, but also just new programs, new beta programs that Amazon might roll out, for example, or a new bidding option or a new targeting option. It doesn't have to be an entirely new channel, but I forget if we actually talked about what you see brands allocating to this. Is there a percentage of a budget that's common from your in your experience? Yeah, so we typically recommend five to 10%, just, you know, depending on the size of the the budget. So, you know, if it's a large CPG advertiser, then that 5% is probably sufficient. And the other thing I would say is, you know, we say innovation in when we say set aside that budget, but, you know, when you're planning your business for the year, you, you tend to have a sense at that point, what innovation will be launching. And so, you know, I personally would make sure I had budget allocated specifically to that innovation. And I would set this, this five to 10% aside for the unknowns, right? So that's really what we mean by the pulse budget is, you know, budget that you can deploy quarterly based on what you know is new and happening within the next quarter. And we do really recommend that you, you manage it very closely and that you're really planning out. So I can't remember if I talked about our, our test and learn framework, but we've got, you know, a test and learn framework where, you know, every quarter we're testing multiple different things with clients. And so really making sure that you're pairing that process. So what does your test and learn process look like against your pulse budget? So, you know, if it's, if it's testing something like say sponsored brand video, I personally would just use some of your sponsored brand budget to test that. That's kind of a no-brainer. It's just a different variation of a, a similar product. But you know, if if there's some new platform or new feature or new functionality coming out, you know, such as when they launch sponsored display, that is something that we would recommend deploying that test budget or that pulse budget. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes that makes total sense. So you've got your known innovations that you want to try out, and then you've got your unknown wild card 
budget. Like you, you don't know what, what's coming, but you need to set something aside for that. Yeah. And then if you haven't, if you don't have a good plan to use those funds, then you can just roll them into your, you know, your overall strategy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Well, I've got a couple of wild, speaking of wild cards, wild card questions for you. Some what's, what's on your mind as a, as someone deep in the weeds in e-commerce space, what's exciting you right now in the world of e-commerce? It's a great question. There's just, there's so much going on. I would say in the last year, I personally have just become a lot more excited about e-commerce. I think, you know, having been in the industry for so long, you know, it just hasn't evolved the way I would have expected it to. And I I say that from my 2019 self, (laughs) but looking back today, I mean, just seeing, you'll hear me say retail media is a a brand new industry, right? It's a, it's a sub industry of the e-commerce industry, And what I mean by that, I mean, obviously, retail media has been around and, you know, people would argue, oh, well, it's just getting all this buzz and attention. But what's new about it is the self-service dynamic. And that's where, you know, it's really created a whole, you know, sub industry to the e-commerce industry. So that to me, obviously, is super exciting. The seller aggregators, the last mile fulfillment options, as I mentioned earlier, social creeping into retail because of ads. So I just think, you know, in the last two years, more than ever before, I've really seen an evolution in this industry where we're not just talking about Amazon anymore. There's so much more that's new and interesting. And we talk in the past about, you know, other players trying to compete with Amazon, but being challenged in doing that. And I think we've really seen, you know, just some some great traction across some of the bigger retailers in terms of, you know, being able to compete and being able to attract consumers to their website. So for me, it feels like a bit of a refresh on an industry that I've, I've been in my entire career. So to me, that's what's really exciting about e-commerce. Yeah, that's a great answer. And what if you changed your mind about? <laughs> I'm not bored in e-commerce anymore. <laughs> I kind of joke about with so much of my background being Amazon specific and, you know, e-commerce having really been around Amazon specific, you know, it's like, well, you know, as this industry grows and more expertise comes into the industry, you know, are we really even experts anymore, you know? And I just think that obviously we are right as these new platforms launch and new things are happening. We come with a really unique perspective having been in the industry. And I say we, I'm talking about most of us e-commerce veterans that have, you know, been doing this for, you know, 15, 20 years or so. But again, I think for me, when I was at Amazon, when I would rotate roles, I felt like I was always doing the same thing, just slightly different. And it's because I was always speaking the same language, you know, it was the same acronyms. It was the same kind of core set of, of KPIs and challenges that we were dealing with. But, you know, now it's just kind of opened up and it's just a whole new set of, of challenges and opportunities. And I think for me, it's really great to see so much newness in this industry because it it really gets me excited about, you know, just continuing, you know, for the next 20 years in this industry. Great. It's invigorating. (laughs) Okay. So Mindy, is there any other events that you're speaking at or research, research from Packview that you want to point listeners to? Yeah. So next week we will have our Q2 CPC report webinar on 720. And that'll be myself and Melissa presenting Amazon. And for the first time ever, we have critical mass on Walmart. So we'll we'll be presenting Walmart CPCs. 
Mm. Yeah, pretty interesting. And then we're still working on dates here, but we are looking at August. Myself and Riku Ledesalo, one of the account directors on my team, we're going to do a Mythbusters webinar. So, you know, look forward to that. And you can you can follow it at packthrough.com backslash webinars. You'll be able to find it there in the coming weeks. And then lastly, this date is tentative. It will likely be in August, but we're targeting August 17th. We'll be doing a sponsored display fireside chat with Amazon. Wow. Exciting. That all sounds good. We'll link up to those in the show notes here. And for anyone who is not aware, Packview is a partner of, of Bobsled. We use Packview, Packview as our ad tech provider and work on a lot of lot of marketing content together as as well. So always love the content that you put out there. The CP the quarterly CPC reports are incredibly insightful. You're breaking those average CPCs and trends down by vertical, which is super helpful for, for a bent from a benchmarking standpoint for brands. So yeah, for anyone who is not already following PackView, definitely go ahead and check that out. Thanks, Mindy, for joining me again. And we'll see if there's any questions from listeners. Send them over to me on LinkedIn and maybe we'll have to have you back for round three, Mindy, some point in the future. Sounds great. If you're not (laughs) that, I'd be happy to come back. All right. Have a great one. You too. Thanks, Kiri.